Luke chapter 13 and 14. If you don't have your Bibles, you can get it on your phone. If you need one, we have red Bibles in the back. Those are free. If you need a Bible, you don't have one at the house, take it with you. Uh, it is very, very important to be in the Word, see what God has said. And so uh, those are free to anybody who needs one. Um, today we're looking at Luke chapter 13 and 14. We're going through the book of Luke. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book of the New Testament. And today I want us to focus on one question. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? And I, I want to be careful because I don't want to assume I know you have a relationship with Jesus, with the people in the room and all of the backgrounds we represent. I want us to be a careful not to assume that we have Jesus. And so we're going to look at two things today. We're going to look at two things. Number one, there is no relationship with Jesus without repentance. There is no relationship with Jesus without repentance. And then we're going to look at there is no relationship without a response. And so we're going to talk about what is repentance? What, what do you mean by that? And then we're going to look at what am I responding to? And so that's where we're going. Um, this is a matter of clarification, but I want us to be careful because today the invitation is going out. And you are invited to something more important and eternal than anything you've ever been invited to in the past. If you've ever been invited to a wedding, you get to do an RSVP, right? Usually, people will send those back. A lot of times they don't, and they still show up. This is one of those times where God is giving you an RSVP. Will you be here in the end? And so I want us to look with fresh eyes, what does it mean to know Jesus? What does it mean to have a relationship with Christ? And we're going to look at three chunks of Scripture, three stories. One is talking about repentance. We're going to see two tragedies and how Jesus focuses the attention of the people he's talking to. And then we're going to talk about a narrow door and how we got to go through that and what does that mean. And then we're going to talk about a great banquet that we all want to be a part of. And so I want us to look at this with fresh eyes. And so let's pray and then we'll get to work. Father, I pray that as your spirit moves, you help us see clearly our relationship with you. And so, Father, for those that don't know you and they're in the room today, I pray that today will be a day where they accept the invitation that you have given. That they see their need for Christ. Father, I pray for all of us in the room that we see with fresh eyes things that we need to turn from, that we need to repent of. I pray that we, with uh, this guy in the parable, that, that we compel people to come in. And Lord, only you can give us that urgency. And so I pray that you move and we don't leave the same as when we came. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I was talking with a couple of guys and and listen, coaching is a great sounding board for sermons coming up uh, on the weekend. And so I'm talking with a couple of my guys, and, and I said, uh, you, you know what? If I had a, a $20 bill and a $1 bill, and I gave you an option, you can only have one of those, what are you going to take? They look at me like I'm a moron. Hey, we're going to take the 20 Duh. I agree. Right? It's easy to see the value there, right? Obviously, $20 is more than a $1 bill. The value is evident. Now, here's the crazy thing. 
And I said, why is it when it comes to the things of Christ, the things of eternal value, we would always take something like the $1 bill that's not compared to the 20 And I gave this example. What if we had a dump truck back up to our yard right here? Dump truck, it's packed with $100 bills, right? Your life is set. You can have any car you wanted. You can live in any house that you wanted. Your kids are set for life. You don't have to work another day of your life. You can have that truck filled with $100 bills, or you can have a relationship with Jesus, but you can't have both. It's either or. My fear is that many will take the truck load of cash. And that's what we see in the text today. Narrow is the door and few find it. Many find the path to destruction. Why is it that we can't see the value that is Christ in comparison to everything this world has to offer? Because it's not even close. Jesus is infinitely more valuable than anything this world has to offer, and yet we miss it. And so that's one reason why this message today is so important. And you want to know who the warning comes to? It comes to religious leaders. It comes to church people. Because they think they're good with God and they're not. And they miss the door. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Hey, listen, this is very, very personal. And so I want to be clear about the gospel, about how you can know Jesus. This is for you. It's as if there's a wedding this weekend and I have personal invitations with your name on them. This is what God is doing. He is saying, hey, there's room at the banquet for you. Come. Come on, Mike Hall, Taewon Hub. These are personal invitations going out. And you're going to respond either way. And my prayer is that we respond with accepting the invitation. And we go because the door is open. All right, so, so let's do some work. Number one, I want us to look at, at who is doing the inviting. In Colossians 1, 15 to 20, if you're taking notes, just write these texts down. Uh, you won't have time to turn there. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. This is who's inviting us, just in case uh, we don't see the value. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He created all things for His glory. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Jesus is the fullness of God. It was pleased to dwell in Him. And then through Jesus we have peace with the Father. That's who's sending the invitations. Nobody like Him has ever given you an invitation. Hebrews 1.3, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. You are breathing because Jesus is sustaining you and seven other billion people on the planet. That is glory. That is power. And He is inviting you to spend the rest of your life and eternity with Him. And yet people are like, nah, not a big deal. I don't think I'm going to go. People are treating it like it's the, the parent-teacher conference that we had this past week. That school's not starting until September 3rd now. I'm, I'm not going. This is God inviting us into the kingdom. You can't shrug this off. And, and then 2 Corinthians 4, if you don't have this passage memorized, this is one to memorize. This is one to write down on index cards, put in your pocket, put in your wallet, put in your purse, and read it day in and day out until you have it in your heart, in your mind, because this tells us why people don't see the value of Christ. It says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled only to those who are perishing. Right? So there's two groups of people in the room right now, those who respond, yes, I'm coming to the banquet, and then those who are perishing. 
Why are they perishing? Paul goes on to write, In their case, the devil has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You have an enemy that is actively trying to keep you from seeing the glory that belongs to Christ. Unfortunately, that is a spiritual reality. We want to see the glory of Christ. That's who is inviting us. And then this invitation comes at a cost. This isn't a cheap invitation. So we see this in Hebrews 9, 12. How much does it cost Jesus to invite us? It says, Did Jesus enter once and for all the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption? Now, if you remember last week we did the Lord's Supper. That is the cost for us to enter the great banquet. You want to be with Christ forever. It doesn't cost us anything. It costs Jesus everything. And so we want to trust in His finished work for us. That is a steep price to pay. And then I want us to see what is He inviting us to. John 3.16 a lot of times you'll see guys at sports games with the John 3.16 uh, sign. This is what it is promised, eternal life. God gave His Son. Whoever believes in Him won't perish, but will have eternal life. They'll be at this banquet we're going to read about. And then Hebrews 9.12 talked about eternal redemption. right? And, and it comes down to an invitation. I had a, a group of guys. Um, two buddies that I had back in high school, really close friends. Uh, they're at this conference. They're doing different games. They got like Papa Shot and Ping Pong and Cornhole. And these guys are just racking up. And every time they win, they get two tickets to a Reds game, and they're close seats. I don't know about you. When I go to the Reds game, I get the cheapest seat and then try to move down. Right? And if the Reds are bad, it's no problem. If the Reds are good, you're not getting down there. But I've never been able to sit in the front row. Right? This time, this guy said, hey, uh, Ben, we've got a couple extra seats. Would you like to come? Uh, they're pretty good seats. They're free. Come on. That's the invitation. I'm thinking, I asked Mike, Mike, you want to go to a Reds game? Sure. We end up going. These seats are on the third baseline, front row. When I see the outfielder, I can read his last name on his jersey. Not looking at the jumbotron on his jersey. I'm thinking, we could toss the ball back. This is all fantastic and then we get to enjoy back to back to back homers in the first inning I'm thinking oh this is a great game look bam gone fireworks loved it of course the resident hold the lead they ended up losing but we were invited and we enjoyed a ball game front row seats now the game was going on whether I showed up or not the invitation was given I could have been there or I could have declined this banquet that we're reading about is happening regardless of how you respond. But right now, the door's open. We have to respond now. All right? So, let's get to the text. That was all pre-sermon. Now we're going to dig in. First text, Luke 13, 1 through 5. And we're talking about no relationship without repentance no relationship without repentance and and Luke has been talking about this you, you remember in Luke chapter 5 uh, that Jesus answered them those who are well have no need of physician right he's like I'm not coming to to save healthy people he said I have call I have come to save uh, sinners who need to repent 
right? And, and so this is very, very important. This is, this is a theme all throughout Luke, and here he hammers it home. And so let's dig in. Luke chapter 13, 1 through 5. There were some present at the very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And you're like, oh, that's kind of weird. This was brutal. Pilate thought that these guys were making a run for it, and he put them to death as they were offering sacrifices to God. This is a brutal time to be living. This is a tragedy. No one's holding Pilate accountable. And listen to the inference. He answered them, Do you think that the Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? Right? Because a lot of times that's how we rationalize. Right? Someone's diagnosed with cancer, like, well, there's probably some hidden sin or something going on. Some tragedy happens. They, they probably deserve, and people try to rationalize it. Good things happen to me because I'm a decent person. And Jesus is about to blow that out of the water. And he says, No, I tell you, they suffered in this, or no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And, and Jesus takes it from, hey, look at this tragedy, and he narrows the focus to you. Right? It's easy to think about people out there, and yet Jesus is giving this stern warning. He's like, you think it's bad for them, you're headed to something worse. And then in case they didn't hear that, Jesus doubled down. Verse 4, or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus again and again and again is saying, hey, unless you repent, there's something more tragic coming your way. And unfortunately, I'm reminded of a tragedy that happened. It's been a few years now. It's 1988, right? There was a Carrollton bus crash. Um, my grandpa was a pastor where he had lost three students on this trip. They went up to visit Kings Island on the way back home. Um, they're coming around Carrollton. Uh, a drunk driver got on the highway going the wrong way, um, passing people, um, going the, the wrong direction, and the truck hits the bus right at the gas tank, and they had just filled up, and the bus explodes into flames, killing 27 people. And the reason why I thought about that, they came out with a documentary called Impact, and on there, you have the student pastor praying for the trip and safety of the students on that trip. And then, this year, we take a group to Daytona, and guess how many people we had? Signed up for the trip, 27. 27 people on a Kings Island trip, praying for safety, lose their lives, and now we're taking 27, and I'm reminded we're praying for the same things. How come they suffered and we make it to a 15-hour destination and back without a scratch? Is it because we're better people? And Jesus is like, you're missing the whole point. He's saying life is fragile. Tomorrow is not promised. And if you do not repent now, you will likewise perish. There's something more tragic than an awful death, and it's living life and missing God only to find out too late. And there's two ways we're going to meet God. He'll either return for us, and then there's judgment, where either you and I will pay for our sin for all eternity, facing the wrath of the Father, or we'll be rescued, invited into the banquet, because our sin has been paid for through Christ on the cross. And now is the time to re.
repent. And, and so you look at these two tragedies, and, and they're focused on, well, if I don't do that, I'm going to be all right. And what Jesus is saying is you're missing the urgency of the message. Life is short. Tomorrow's not promised. If you don't repent, there's something tragic coming. Do not miss this. So let's talk a little bit about repentance. Um, if you had to define repentance, think about how you would describe that. There's this old pastor that, that I think is helpful in, in talking about repentance. What is that? Um, if I had to give a Reader's Digest version, it's you're going one way and you stop and you turn and you walk a different direction. I think in essence that's what repentance is. Now I'm going to explain it a little bit fuller here. Number one, in order to repent, it includes realizing that you're a sinner. Right? I was asked at Thomas More College when I went to school there, Taj, you might have been asked the same question. Do you think people are basically good or basically bad? Right? I started thinking, well, I think everybody in this room is decent. I don't think we have any murderers or anybody in the room. I started thinking and looking and like, well, that's a good question. The Bible answers this question clearly. We all messed up. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. You see, I made the mistake, Taj, of thinking that other people are the standard, right? Um, I, I've never smacked my mama, so I'm not as bad as somebody that has, and so I'm, I'm using them as the standard, right? And, and what God says is, no, I'm the standard. Be holy, for I am holy. And when I see the holiness of God, whew, I don't measure up. I don't come close. And so before you can turn from something, you have to realize you are a sinner. Uh, Julianne and I, we started dating when we were in high school. We go to this concert at Riverbend, and we're riding with a guy named Keith Churchill. We're going down in the car. He's cruising along. He's hot, turns on the AC, starts to roll up his windows, and my hand's like this in the window. And I don't realize he's rolling it up until he gets to here, and he's still going, and then all of a sudden you hear the window click, 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 and it's just pushing my hand up in the window, and I'm trying to say, hey, stop putting the window up, but you can't think when your hand's getting smashed. Right? And so I'm like, and Keith looks at me like, dude, stop putting up the window. He says, oh, man, I I didn't know I was doing that. It takes a while, but until you realize this, you you don't, did you know you should be turning from something? Did you know you should be turning from sin? Sin is anything that is rebelling against God. God said, hey, this is the way, and you're saying, nope, I'm going this way, I'm going this way, I'm going this way, I'm doing this. That's it. Do you know you're supposed to turn from that? So step number one in repentance is realize that I'm a sinner. Number two, be broken or sorrow over your sin. David does this well in Psalm 51, uh, verse 17. It says, the sacrifice of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God, you will not despise. We don't celebrate sin. We're broken over it. We're broken over what sin does to our relationships, what it does to our community. What it does to ourselves. We're broken over rebelling against a God who is nothing but gracious and compassionate for his people. We're broken that we think something's more valuable than Christ. Be broken over your sin, and then with that, shame over sin. Ezra 9 6 says this Oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to you, for my God, my iniquities have risen higher than our heads. And you see, we live in a day where we celebrate and take pride in our sin. We'll watch whatever we want to. We'll say whatever we want to. We'll do whatever we want to. That's not repentance. And if we don't repent, we will all likewise perish.
And then comes the good part. So when you realize and you're broken and you have shame over it, you don't sit in the corner feeling sorry for yourself. There's, there's good news. You confess it. And so you have 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is a huge truth to grasp. If you understand the gospel, you understand that I'm going to mess up. Right? And so for me, when I mess up, I don't want to think, oh, the world is ended. There's no hope for me. No, Jesus has paid for my sin, and so I want to confess it to him. So you can understand, look at your own life and how you deal when you mess up. Does it take you a long time to approach God? If it does, you probably are not grasping the gospel. If it takes you a long time to ask for forgiveness for the person you've wronged, you probably don't understand the gospel. And so in this repentance, it is including confession of sin. God, I did this. It is wrong. I'm not going there again. And then it leads to a hatred of sin. One guy put it this way, Christ is never loved until sin is loathed. Right? We don't use that word anymore. Basically, it's sin is hated. You can't have both. Jesus came to die because of our sin. You can't live in sin and live for Christ. They're mutually exclusive. Another guy put it this way, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And it's funny, uh, sin doesn't come and stay in the nice compartments you try to keep it in. Right? Sin comes and starts tangling up everything in your life. It's like a weed that comes and chokes the life out of a plant. That's what sin does. It's not something that you play with. It's something you kill. And you hate it. You hate the consequences of sin. And so when you look at Keter, what was involved there? Sin. Someone thought that it could take a life. We hate that. We hate gun violence. We hate selfishness. We hate the idea that you think life is cheap. We hate that. But now, let's look at our own lives. Do you live a life that is hating of sin? Or do you think your sin's okay? Do I think my sin's okay? Do you have greed? Lust? Anger? Pride? Repentance isn't something we do once. It's something that we do all the time. So you have realize I'm a sinner, broken over sin, shame, confession, hatred, and then the final one is turning from Sin. You turn from it. You don't go back there again. And so there's a couple of examples in Scripture that I think are helpful. In Ezekiel 14.6, it says, Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Repent and turn away from your idols. You can't worship your idols and worship God. You've got to turn. Turn to me. So it's a turning from sin, turning to God. In Acts 19, now listen, I don't know if anybody in the room is dealing with witchcraft and magicians, but there was a city that was into this seriously. In Acts 19, 18 to 20, check out what happens. This is what, this is a beautiful picture of repentance. Acts 19, 18 to 20. Also, many of those who are now believers, right, they used to be in sin, but then they realized it, they hated it, they turned from it. They came confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them and found it to come to 50,000 pieces of silver. That's a truckload of cash. 
And they're saying, you know what? I'm turning from this because I cannot serve Christ and do this. I'm burning bridges and I'm not coming back. That's a beautiful picture of repentance. Is there something in your life that you need to turn from now? Maybe it's an inappropriate relationship. Maybe it's an inappropriate action. Maybe it's an inappropriate attitude or thought. All of us in the room, we need to ask God for wisdom, and then we need to turn from sin. Because if not, we all likewise perish. So there is no relationship without repentance, but then secondly, there is no relationship without a response. And then we get two pictures here. And I'm going to deal with both of these. I'm going to read both, and then we'll deal with both quickly um, and then move forward. One is the narrow door, and one is the great banquet. We'll see the narrow, narrow door first. Right? If you're in Luke, it's Luke chapter 13, verse 22. He went on his way, speaking of Jesus, through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Real quick, guys, what's going on in Jerusalem? What's going to happen when he gets to Jerusalem? going to be put on the cross right we read in Luke chapter 9 verse 51 the days drew near for him to be taken up and so he set his face to go towards Jerusalem and then here it's just by way of reminder hey just remember Jesus is heading this direction he's getting ready to lay his life down right there's some emotion in this passage as Jesus is speaking I don't want you to miss it this is vitally important he has no time to waste words and so he gives us this story Said someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Get in your mind how you would answer that question, right? Don't say it out loud. Do you think there's going to be a lot or a few in heaven? This is how Jesus answers it. And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer to you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught us in our streets. Right? They're saying, like, what do you mean you don't know where we came from? But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you came from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place... There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a tragedy. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out, and people will come from the east and the west, north and the south, and recline at the table of the kingdom of God, and behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. This is a terrifying story for me. Because I think this is speaking of us just as much as it was speaking to the audience Jesus was speaking to. I think churches are filled with people who know about Jesus, but do not know Jesus. And I cannot answer that question for you, but you can, and you can answer it today. You see, they said, hey, we ate and drank, like, we were there, you, you taught, we heard. It would be like today saying, hey, when we had Sunday gatherings, I was in the church. What do you mean you don't know me? I heard the, the Bible preach. What do you mean you don't know me? Showing up to a building does not guarantee a relationship with Christ. For instance, I go to the Reds game. Mike, how many times did I hit the ball at the Reds game? 
How many times? Did I hit any out of the park? No. You want to know why? One on the team. I was in the stadium, but I'm not on the field. I don't want you to be at a church building, but not part of the church. Be very, very careful. A relationship with Christ only happens as you respond to his invitation. It is a personal relationship. Have you repented of your sin? That's how the relationship begins. Do you see the invitation? This is a narrow door. There was a, a pastor who had a, uh, went to a, a coffee shop up by Harvard. He was in town to give a little conference at the school. And he's like, man, I was out of my element. These are, are young guys and they're smart. And he goes, I go to this coffee shop just to get away. And all of a sudden, this coffee shop just blows up. Class gets out. Everybody's here. And he said, I noticed there was a girl reading her Bible. And so I went and talked to her. She came from India. And he asked, hey, uh, I see you're, you're reading the Bible. Do you believe and Jesus, and she goes, yes, I have chosen the narrow way. And he goes, that, that was strange because no one ever describes it that way. But you see, in India, there are hundreds and thousands of gods that you go to. If you need to have a baby, you go to this God. If you need money, you go to this God. If you need health, you go to this guy. And she's like, none of those are gods. I've chosen the narrow way, and it's Jesus. And then I started thinking, when you look at Hinduism and Buddhism, and you look at all the religions around the world, billions of people that don't know about Jesus, one, it gives us urgency to take the mission to them, but it also reminds us of this text, many will come from the east and the west, north and the south. They're going to hear the gospel and respond, but many, like you and me, sitting here could miss out on the invitation. And I think this is where we find our place in the story. The narrow door. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He didn't stutter when he said that. He made it very, very clear. There's only one way to the Father. There's only one way to the banquet. And I think it's this is where you and I find our place in the story. He is talking face-to-face -to, -face to people in this story, right? Guy asks, hey, tell you what, are there going to be a lot of people in heaven or not? Right? Just like me and Taewon could be having a conversation. And Jesus is like right there. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He can't be any closer to these guys physically. And yet they're missing the door. And he said, hey, you're going to be knocking on the door, but it's too late. It's going to be shut. Meanwhile, people coming from all over the globe, here is your invitation. Will you come? How awesome is that? Jesus knew you. And puts you in the story by saying, hey, people from the north and south and east, and west, this party's happening, and people are coming from all over the place. And here's your invitation. And you're going to see this guy that ignored Jesus, and you're going to like, man, deuces. I'm going through that door. I'm not missing it. You see the urgency here? Jesus says, hey, the question isn't how many are going to be saved. The question is, are you going to be saved? Have you gone through the narrow door? Are you striving to go through the narrow door? And, and in that, I want us to be careful. right? You're not striving to save yourself. You can't do that. You're striving to trust in the work of Christ. That's how you enter the narrow door. Jesus is the only way. I want to be sure I know who Jesus is, and I want to trust him for salvation. That's the striving it's talking about. Because the world's going to throw a lot of us, hey, you're okay. Your life's fine. There is no judgment coming. God doesn't care how you live. He wants you to be happy. No, I'm, I'm striving for this narrow door. I believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And I'm going to enter 
through the door. You also see the urgency. It's small, but it's also closing. I would say everybody in the room, at the most, has less than 70 years to respond. And it will affect your eternity. And that's being generous. Because we're not promised tomorrow. Remember the tower that fell? And some crazy leader that massacred his people? Car crashes, health scares, violence. He's saying, go now, because the door's open. So enter the narrow door. And then one last passage, chapter 14. We're going to look at verse 15, and we'll move quicker on this one. Chapter 14, verse 15, it says, One of those reclined at the table with him heard these things. He said to him, Blessed everyone who eat bread in the kingdom of God. Right? So Jesus is eating with these religious leaders. and He's like, oh, yeah, that great banquet. He's like, yep, blessed is everybody that's there. He assumes that he already has a seat at the table. And Jesus is about to clarify his misconception. But Jesus said, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all like began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant had and reported these things to his master, and the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. Verse 23, And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these men who were invited shall taste my banquet. The party's going to happen whether you respond or not. What I want us to do is accept the invitation. And you see these excuses. I can't, I bought a house, I can't, I've got a business venture, I can't, I'm married. And what they were saying is the host and his banquet is not as important as my house. The host and his banquet is not as important as my business. The host and the banquet can't help me in my marriage. No thanks. It's a value judgment. Jesus invites and excuses come to show value. And I've heard it through the years of why people never come to Jesus. I'm going to wait for a better time. I'm going to wait till I have this in line. I'm going to wait till I stop doing this. And that day never comes. Nothing is more valuable. There is no excuse to reject the invitation. And so I want to make four applications about this, and then we will close. Number one, now is the time to respond. Now is the time. The door is open. The banquet is ready. Without responding now, while the door is open, there will be no access later. Have you ever responded to Jesus? Number two. Never underestimate the value of the invitation. Remember who is inviting you. You don't just shrug your shoulders to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And He cares specifically 
for you. Your name is on the invitation. Number three, you are invited. Coming from the east, the west, the north, and the south, the table's not full. There's a seat for you. Come in. And then, if you have responded, you've repented of your sin, you're following Jesus, and you've accepted the invitation, you trust Jesus for salvation, the question is, who are you inviting? Do you hear the language that we saw in verse 23? Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be full. This is very important for how we live now. I want my friends, my family, my city, people I come into contact with to be seated with me at this banquet. It's the language we see in 2 Corinthians where Paul is saying, hey, we're ambassadors of Christ. God's making his appeal through us. Right? God is still sending out invitations and it's through the church, you and me. And he says this, We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We have a spot at the table because of what Jesus has done. We should be imploring others to come in. Now, I'm going to share a personal story, uh, one that I will regret. Um, I guess it's been three months ago, it was towards the end of the school year. So it was, it was May something. Um, Mike and I were heading home from some practice and we passed and I saw Keeter shooting basketball. All right, he's up there, he's shooting and Pope, you know this from experience, Keeter loves to challenge anybody to a basketball game. Now, my man was in sandals and jeans and I thought, oh, I can get him now. I'm going to go home, get my shorts on, my shoes on. I'm going to stretch out a little bit, and I'm going to go beat him one-on-one so he can't brag to all his friends about how bad he beat me. So I go in, and, and I get changed. I walk back up there, and he was getting ready to leave, and he's like, he's like, Brown, do you want your whooping now? I say, yes, let's go. Let's do this. We start playing one-on-one. My man, we split games. He beat me in sandals, um, and I remember this, this to this day. All right. We spent probably 45 minutes playing a basketball game that doesn't even matter right now. I didn't spend one second of that time imploring him to come to the banquet. Now, there were other times where we prayed for him, and I have shared the gospel with him at the school, but I made a decision when I'm doing this sermon, I'm thinking, dag, don't implore and beg and plead people, come in, come in, come in, because the door is shutting and so we're not guaranteed tomorrow Neville's brings this up whenever we do the dead period always something bad happens to our football team as we go life is fragile but the doors open now and you can respond Jesus is worth it turn from your sin have life in Christ Respond to his invitation. How do you do that? You ask him. You ask him to forgive you of your sin. You turn from the garbage in your life and you trust him for salvation. And you can do that right now. We serve a God that hears his people when they pray. And then for those in the room that have already made that decision, do not waste opportunities to implore people to come to the banquet. Don't assume they have a seat. 
go out and beg and plead, hey, get in here, because it's a narrow door and it's shutting. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for the invitation. Father, I pray right now that people are responding to you, accepting that invitation, accepting the work Christ has done for them on the cross, that he might be their righteousness, that he might be their savior for their sin, that it's paid for. Father, I pray that you give us an urgency to implore people to come to you, to plead with people to turn to you. Lord, it's going to be a great banquet. And it's going to be for an eternity. So, Father, I pray that today you move and you help us be different as we leave today than when we came in. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.